Well, the reading and the preaching of God's holy word this morning comes to us from Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like to read the entire chapter. We'll be focusing our attention mainly on verse 17, however, though the context of the chapter will be, will be brought in mind. Hebrews chapter 13. This is God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And so let's pay close attention, careful attention to God's word as it's read this morning. The inspired writer to the Hebrews writes, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And now our main text this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood and eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be to you all. We're going to end our reading of God's Word there this morning. Well, I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that of one of, one of the great lost arts of our age, 
is the art of writing letters. It seems that in our modern age, interpersonal communication has been relegated to the Instagram or Facebook post, to the the brief email, the short text. And very few people are any more skilled in the art of writing letters. And yet it is such an immensely meaningful and valuable exercise. Letters in particular give us the opportunity to, to pour out our souls to those whom we love, to communicate our concern and our care for them in heartfelt words. Um, part of my doctoral studies uh, allowed me to read through a, a large number of letters, interpersonal letters that were sent between the Reformers uh, almost daily. And the letters are beautiful. You can tell that the, the writers are almost trying to pack too much into the letter. They have so much that they want to impress upon their friends and the congregations to whom they write. And usually at the end of the letter, they try desperately to sum everything up, uh, to give one lasting impression, a last word to their loved ones to carry with them before that next letter comes along in the mail. Well, here in Hebrews 13, we have the writer to the Hebrews writing a last word, a last word of exhortation. And he strains to, to give them, in just the short amount of space that he, he has left, to give them some moral exhortation, some lasting moral instruction to take with them before he is able to see them again, should that even happen. And the guiding principle that the writer to the Hebrews wants to, to leave these believers with is this, that relationships in the church should be marked by love. You notice right here in the first verse of chapter 13, he admonishes them, let brotherly love continue. Don't let up on showing one another love love among the saints. It's that love, he says, which is the fruit of faith. It's that love, he says, which is an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their midst. That love should be the defining feature of the Christian church. And so he goes on here in the first part of this chapter, and he says it's, it's that love that obligates us, verse 2, to show hospitality to strangers. It's that love, verse 3, that should cause us as the church to remember those in prison. It's that love that should, should maintain the bond of peace and harmony and purity within the context of marriage. It's that love that should keep us from the love of money and keep us ever in the love of Christ. But the main point I want us to think about this morning, the main point perhaps even of this chapter, is that it's that same Spirit-created love, that same love that should define the church, should define the fellowship of the saints, that motivates Christians to remember and obey and submit to their leaders. That theme arises several times in this chapter. Verse 7, he says to the saints, remember your leaders, those who first spoke the Word of God to you. Imitate them. And then later in verse 17, our text this morning, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's this love that motivates the believer to obey and submit to their leaders. 
but it's also that same love that should cause and motivate the leaders of the church to keep watch over the souls of the flock of Jesus Christ. And so as Reverend Kern takes up his, his new position as senior pastor here at Ontario URC, God's Word this morning instructs us about the kind of relationship that will serve the health and the peace and the harmony and the growth of Ontario URC. And I want us to notice this morning that it's a relationship that involves three things. It's a relationship that must be marked by submission to those whom Christ has placed in authority over you. Secondly, it's a, it's a relationship marked by Reverend Kern's heartfelt love for the saints and his joyful service of the people of Christ. But it's also a relationship marked by everyone entrusting themselves to Christ, who is the great shepherd and caretaker of his sheep. As I noted earlier, the, the writer to the Hebrew Christians begins this part of his letter with a very clear, a very straightforward command. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And that might seem like a very difficult, a very unpopular demand, especially from the vantage point of our present culture. Because culturally, the prevailing spirit in America today is self-determination self-promotion, not submission to others. We are told almost on a constant basis that the defining virtue of being an American is that we should be ourselves. Do what you please. Don't let anybody put limits on your individuality. Self is preeminent in our culture today, and it has been for some time. And so when we, we read this command, obey your leaders and submit to them, our world responds, what a culturally out-of-touch command. And we must never forget that the instruction of God, His will for the church, is diametrically opposed to the spirit of this age in which we live. And so the writer instructs Christians, obey and submit to your leaders. Now, here in this context, he doesn't specifically say who these leaders are, but it seems most likely that he is speaking about the, the elders, the overseers of the church, as well as those who instruct the congregation, those who are called by God to preach and teach the gospel. It's certainly not to denigrate the work of deacons, but here he's interested in those who are in positions of authority as overseers of the church. And we're reminded that this command comes with great precedence in the church. In the Old Covenant, God had ruled and instructed and protected and guarded His people through other types of offices, through prophets and priests and kings. And now in the New Covenant, you know, through the ministry of Jesus Christ, He rules and instructs His church through spirit-controlled men who hold the offices of elder and pastor. We see this so clearly taught in, in Ephesians chapter 4. We read there, Paul says, And he gave to the church the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, 
the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Jesus Christ. The promise to the church there in Ephesians is a wonderful promise that even though Jesus Christ is now as the ascended Lord reigning and ruling from heaven, His body is not here among His church. Still, He's continuing to rule and to guard and to govern His church through these under-shepherds, through these offices and the men who hold these offices. God rules His church through His servants who serve under Him, under Christ, as under shepherds. They serve under Jesus. And what that means for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, is this, that your obedience, your submission to them is not ultimately to them as men, but it is to God, the God whom they serve. When your elders set the direction for the church, when they call you to worship, when they exercise discipline, they are doing God's work under His authority. And when your minister teaches and he preaches the Word, when he admonishes and corrects and rebukes, he's doing God's work under His authority. And that's why you must obey them and submit to them. But what does that look like in the life of the church? How does that obedience, that submission look in the life of the congregation? Well, primarily it means willing submission. Willing submission. When your pastor serves as a, a faithful and dedicated minister of the Word, he proves that he has the Word, the, the Word of God and the authority of God at his disposal. And that means he is worthy of your supportive attitude. He's worthy of your supportive actions. He's worthy of your imitation of his faith and his life. He is worthy of your joyful disposition to follow His instructions for your spiritual good. You notice the writer to the Hebrews does not say, willingly obey your leaders so long as you agree with them. He does not say, willingly and joyfully follow your leaders only when their decision seems right to you. There's no qualifications here. It's the Spirit of God who has placed them here to teach and to instruct and to rule. It's God Himself who has placed this chain of command within the church. Military analogies are, are not perfect, but in this case, there's some connection, I think. One writer says this, everyone who serves in the armed forces recognizes it's vitally important that the chain of command be obeyed. Our military would be ineffective if privates could ignore sergeants or tell generals what to do. In the same way, God's chain of command within the church must be followed. In fact, only if God's chain of command, only if His will for the church is followed, can there be blessed harmony and mutual love that God desires for His flock. Otherwise, the church is left open to the attacks and the advances of Satan. And so our obedience, our submission must be willing submission. But willing submission to our leaders is required for another reason. Verse 17, he says that you must obey, you must submit, 
so that they might rule and teach with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When members of the congregation are stubborn and rebellious and hard-hearted and critical, it can rob leaders of joy in ministry. Church members who rebel against their God-appointed leaders, instead of being teachable, instead of being grateful, are a source of tremendous grief, not just to ministers and elders, but to the Lord Himself. Because you see, when we lack a teachable and a patient and a submissive spirit towards our leaders, we must remember that rebellion is first of all against the Lord, because He is the one who has given these men as a gift to the church to rule the church. But notice something else. Lack of submission to our leaders hurts believers. Notice what he says. Don't make it difficult for your, your leaders because it's of no advantage to you. When we don't follow God's blessed pattern for His church, it's believers who get hurt as well. John Calvin writes, it's unprofitable, it's worthless, it's detrimental to God's people to cause sorrow and mourning to their pastors by their ingratitude. Indeed, he says, we cannot be troublesome or disobedient to our pastors without hazarding our own salvation. On the other hand, obedience, willing submission brings much joy to the Christian. It brings much joy to the pastor and to the elders. It brings much harmony to the entire congregation. When God's will for His flock is followed willingly and joyfully, then we can expect an abundance of grace and unity and peace and fellowship in the church. And so, as the writer asks in verse 18, pray for your elders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for teachable minds, humble and submissive wills to the Word and the will of Christ, because then the gospel ministry will be effective and the church will grow. Well, pastor, you've been picking on the congregation for quite a while now. What about our leaders? Don't they need to be admonished? Absolutely. Absolutely. As under-shepherds of Christ... Elders and pastors serve as your overseers, they serve as your teachers, and they do bear the authority of Christ. We must remember that first of all. But they are also required to rule and to serve Christ in a certain kind of way. They ought to take their God-given task as an under-shepherd, as a servant serving under Christ, they ought to take that task very seriously. The writer to the Hebrews tells the congregation that their leaders are to keep watch over your souls. I love that phrase. It's a beautiful but challenging word. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying to the leaders of the church, to Reverend Kern, to your elders, is that it's their calling from Christ regularly to lose sleep over the spiritual well-being of this flock. They are like sentinels, keeping close watch over the city gates to spot intruders. 
Reverend Kern, as your minister, like a sentinel, must stand guard with the sword of God's truth in his hand so that he might slay the wolves of error, that he might destroy the lions of impurity that might prey upon this flock. Faithful leaders are watchmen on whom there is great responsibility to speak the truth, to defend the truth. I'm reminded of the Old Testament prophets whom God called, He commissioned them specifically to be watchmen over Israel. We think especially of God's call to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 3 of Ezekiel. And there we read, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Ezekiel had this call from the Lord to proclaim God's word faithfully to the people, but also to warn them about the nations, to warn them about the temptations that might creep in to destroy them. But there's more to that call for Ezekiel. The warning that comes for him is that if he fails at that task, if he fails at delivering God's Word faithfully, if he fails to warn the people as God called him to, he too would be judged. The following verse, Ezekiel 3.18, we read this, If I say, God says to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you, my servant, give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And that warning to Ezekiel echoes through the book of Hebrews as well. Those who keep watch over your souls, the writer to Hebrews says, will have to give an account. He will have to give an account. On the last day, Reverend Kern will have to answer for the work that he has done as a minister of the Word of Christ. Did he fulfill his task as an under-shepherd by, by genuinely caring for the needs of the members of this church? Did he nurture you spiritually through faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God? Did he minister to the sick and the troubled? Did he visit you in your homes? Did he open up his own home and office as a place for rich fellowship and the communion of the saints? Was he vigilant at staving off the attacks of the evil one? Did he and the elders administer discipline properly when wickedness and impurity crept into the fold? Brothers and sisters, Reverend Kern's task is dangerous. It's often burdensome, and it comes with great accountability. It comes with accountability to the elders, certainly, but most importantly, to Christ Himself. And so there is before Him and before the elders as well a rather challenging charge, a charge that is well reflected in the words of the Apostle Peter to the church in chapter 5. First, Reverend Kern must be a joyful servant, not a tyrant. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we read that he should shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Your pastor and your elders must rule by example, not as power-hungry dictators. And they must be joyful leaders. As you support them in their work, they must serve willingly, not under compulsion, but joyfully, gratefully for this task. And second, Reverend Kern must exercise his office with humility, not pride. In verse 5, we read that you who are younger should be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Reverend Kern must serve humbly in a self-sacrificing way, giving up his comforts and time and energy and even convenience for the sake of the flock. But finally, Reverend Kern must be vigilant. He must be vigilant. He must remain alert rather than becoming complacent and apathetic about the needs and concerns of the flock. Notice what we read later in this chapter in verses 8 and 9. We read, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Reverend Kern, along with the elders, must keep watch against error and false teaching, against temptation and sin, and not grow tired in fulfilling their office to the honor and the glory of Christ. And once again, congregation, when he fulfills that office faithfully, then he is worthy of your honor and your respect. Calvin says again, the heavier the burden they bear, the more honor they deserve. For the more labor anyone undertakes for our sake and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater our obligations to him. And so once again, pray for your new minister. Pray for your senior pastor as he undertakes this most glorious, this most joyful, and yet this most serious task as an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. But your new senior pastor and your elders will most certainly fall short of the lofty calling that God has given to them. They will grow weary in the watches of the night. They will struggle to make decisions that are pleasing to God and good for the church. They are fallible men. But notice once again the primary reason for why you must still obey them, why you must still follow their example. Look with me at the beginning part of chapter 13 of Hebrews once again, verses 7 and 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in verse 8 we read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When I first read this passage, I had a hard time seeing what verse 8 and verse 7 had to do with one another. It seemed like such an abrupt change in the narrative. 
but I believe this is the point of the writer, that you and I must submit to and seek to imitate our leaders simply because they have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They are worthy of your submission and obedience because they serve Christ, the one who never grows weary in the watches of the night. They serve Christ, who never leaves and forsakes His church. They serve under Christ, who is the greatest shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. They serve Christ, who is the greatest and the most faithful shepherd of the church. And that's the whole purpose. That's the whole theme of the letter to the Hebrews, that Jesus is better. Jesus is the greatest. He's better than all the Old Testament sacrifices for sin. We read here in chapter 13 that, that when he suffered outside the camp, outside the city on the cross of Calvary, he did something the Old Testament sacrifices could never do. He actually put away sin. He destroyed it. He defeated it. He removed our judgment, and even now he is sanctifying a people for himself. Jesus is better. He's better than all the Old Testament offices. Because when He came to earth, He fulfilled the office of prophet, priest, and king flawlessly. And He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your trust because He cares for you so completely that you can be assured that He will equip you with everything that you need to live for Him. That's the theme of verse 21 here. He says, God will, our Lord Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord, will equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is better. And He is the greatest shepherd of His sheep, the church. He's eternally trustworthy as your shepherd at God's right hand. He's eternally trustworthy. Yesterday when He created this world, today through His saving work on our behalf, and forever as He reigns in heaven and intercedes for you as His most precious possession, His most precious flock. And so, believers, the call this morning comes to you to entrust yourself to this great shepherd. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. He has given to you Reverend Kern and the elders of this church as his appointed under-shepherds to rule and to instruct this congregation faithfully on his behalf. Christ is the one who equips them for ministry. And so obey them. Imitate their life and their faith for the sake of Christ. And Reverend Kern and the leaders of Ontario URC, a call comes to you as well to entrust yourself to this great shepherd. He is the one who equips you for ministry. When you are weak, when you are frail when you feel so inadequate to fulfill this most holy calling. You can be confident that as you remain the faithful understudies of your great shepherd, he will certainly provide all that you need to lead 
and to instruct this precious flock. These are the promises of God this morning from His Word. Let's take them to heart. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank You for this encouraging word from Hebrews 13. That You love Your church so much as the great shepherd of Your sheep. That You have given to her as a gift these pastors and elders, those to to rule and to teach and to instruct. We pray, Lord, that you would make us obedient and submissive, that we would be humble enough and supportive enough to bless them in this ministry, that we would not be a stumbling block or a discouragement to their joy in ministry, but that we would enhance their joy in ministry by obeying them for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for Reverend Kern as he takes up his new responsibilities as senior pastor. Give him a special measure of grace and wisdom and insight into your word. Give him a special love and a depth of compassion for this church and for the surrounding community that he might minister in an effective and meaningful way a way that you might bless and increase. And Lord, as we undertake these tasks, both of rulership and of submission, we pray that we would entrust ourselves to Christ. For you are the one who reigns from heaven over all with a special covenant care for your people, your flock, the church. And you provide us with all that we need for life and godliness in this wicked age. We entrust ourselves to you, O Christ, and we give you the glory and the honor and praise. Amen.